0: all right hey we are live welcome to the confidence after dark podcast the main mission and focus of this podcast is to help couples learn to understand one another listen to one another and to create a healthy environment for their family using the power of femininity intimacy and vulnerability if all you do is fight and argue do hurtful things to one another And it's hard to get on the same page, then I invite you to subscribe to this podcast as I will be offering tips to help you reconnect and reignite the passion in your relationship. Because once you thrive, everyone else around you thrives. And so on today's episode, I have a guest. Her name is um, Kate. How do I pronounce your last name? Kate Carson. Kate Carson. All right, I have Kate Carson as a guest on today's episode, and we are going to talk about helping couples rebuild after baby loss. Um, as a mom of two, correct?
1: Two living children, yes, that's right. Yes, as
0: a mom of two girls, she has personal experience with baby loss and the effects that it can have on a relationship, on a marriage. And so I wanted her to, to speak about her experience, um, you know, whatever it is that you are comfortable with, of course, but just, you know, your experience with baby loss, how that affected your marriage and how you were able to come out on the other side of that, because that is, you know, such, um, a huge event to happen, not only to a woman, but also to the man in the relationship as well. And so if you have experienced baby loss and or miscarriage or, or whatnot, then I invite you to continue to listen to the tips that Miss Kate is going to provide for you because they are going to be really, really good. All right. Um, so Kate, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely, thank you Alexia. My name is Kate Carson
1: and in 2012 I lost my middle daughter. Uh, She was diagnosed very late in pregnancy with pretty, pretty bad brain anomalies and her life expectancy was both short and quite severely painful. Because of that my husband and I chose to terminate the pregnancy by flying to Colorado and obtaining an abortion. Um, It was one of those things where we had planned this baby, we had built our lives for her and we were so happy to finally be pregnant. I had had three miscarriages in a row leading up to this pregnancy so I was like heavily invested. And it was just devastating. It was absolutely devastating. Um, It was, it, it was this impossible choice between peace and life for her. And I really understand when people choose life because that is such a beautiful sacred gift. But for us in our values, the peace felt like the more relevant gift to give this baby. Um, we already had a daughter, Elsie, and she, uh, we had to leave her home, of course, but this impacted our marriage hugely. Now, since then, I've been leading support space at ending a wanted pregnancy. So uh, I came in as someone seeking support and within a few months I was also giving support and I've been there for the last decade. It's an incredible space for anyone who's been on this particular path. In more recent years, I've changed my career from being a classroom teacher. First I was a scientist and engineer and then a classroom teacher uh, to being a, a coach and specifically I love sex and relationship coach. And, you know, I could have chosen to be a support person in any area, but what I was seeing in support group is that these are wounds of love and they are wounds of relationship. And the sexuality piece is huge. The impact this has on a relationship sexuality is pretty massive. And so I really felt that by studying in this area, I would best be able to support the women and the mums and dads in my support group, as well as, Um, anyone who wanted more one-on-one support. So I've been a coach at Nightbloom Coaching ever since then. And I call it Nightbloom because I I love your podcast, by the way, that it's like you're in the thick of it and you're in the dark and you're all the way in the shadow. Well, that's where some of us learn to bloom, right? Like that's where some of us learn to make the best relationship yet. So thank you for having me. I feel like a great fit for your show.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on. Um, I, I really do like this topic and I definitely want to want to learn more. I, yeah. But I know some women aren't able to like move on like that. Yeah. And so, you know, even if the situation was wrong, it still can affect a woman and she feel, you know, bad about herself or feel like it was her fault or that she did something wrong and you know really affect her really affect her mentally uh I see that I see that a lot especially when you you want a baby and it's just not happening the way that you that you would like it to totally Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and so I just would like to know how were you able to mentally process what was happening during your experience as you had to make the difficult choice to terminate your pregnancy based on a, you know, a medical condition?
1: Yeah, that's, (laughs) it's such an interesting question. When I think back the 10 years, and I think of, um, I really go back to this moment there was this ultrasound. I was 35 weeks pregnant when my baby was diagnosed. So I was like 8 months pregnant. I was extremely pregnant. Mm-hmm. And um I had gone in for like a peace of mind ultrasound. I just had this anxiety like I knew something was wrong. I mean that at the end of the day I knew something was wrong and I kept on saying how worried I was and they kept on reassuring me. But finally my midwife was like, "Go in. We'll get we'll take a look." And so I thought I was going to come out like even though I knew something was wrong, like, oh, everything's okay. That's what yeah. they're there to tell me.
0: It's like funny always. how we know. We, we just yeah. know. <laughs>
1: right. But instead I got this, oh, oh no. Oh no. Okay. We're sending in the maternal fetal medicine specialist. They're going to consult with you. Um, and they told me about my baby's brain not having developed in the way that it should. And they didn't give me a prognosis at that moment. So when I go back to that like, how do you cognitively wrap your head around this and make a decision? I'm going back to the neurologist's office two days after the initial diagnosis. Um, They wouldn't give me a prognosis. They wouldn't tell me what her life would or wouldn't look like until the MRI because brain stuff, you know, it's very nuanced. The brain is very plastic. It can overcome a lot, but also it is very important and sensitive. And so it can also not overcome a lot. So I was sitting with this neonatal neurologist having been through an MRI and he was just telling me, you know, it's bad. <laughs> it's, he said, your baby will is not expected to walk, to talk, to hold up the weight of her head, or to swallow. And I just remember being in that place and being like, I'm trying to imagine my baby. I'm trying to picture her. And it's just like he's taking away images from that imagined future, but I don't even know what's left. And I asked him, well, what will she do? Will she just sleep like that? all day do babies like mine just sleep all day and he winced and he said babies like yours are not often comfortable enough to sleep Mm -hmm. because what she would have had is a lot of seizures she would have had vomiting and because she couldn't swallow she would have aspirated her vomit and she probably would have died uh in a way like that and when he said that like when he said she might not be comfortable enough to sleep like not just like through the night but like ever (laughs) right? right right um I sort of, I just had this thinking like, oh, like, okay, I understand what I'm dealing with. And in that moment, I was in full crisis mode. So ever since the ultrasound where they brought in the MFMs, I was just in all out life or death survival stress response, right? Yeah. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was just crying all day until I cried myself out. And then I would like cry some more somehow. And So when I went in, I was like, it's almost like you're going into battle. Like I buck myself up and I go into the hospital and then I hear this and I just knew. And it's almost a felt sense. This was before I had become a somatic coach. So I wasn't very in touch with my body. But when I look at those dark days of making this decision it was really less of a cognitive thing and more of a felt sense thing. I had just finished my grad degree in chemical engineering. So like, I know how to do scientific research But I did not do the scientific research. I trusted my team to do it. And my husband did a bunch on his own. He's also an engineer. Um, Because it, it wasn't so much wrapping my head around it. It was more like feeling into my body and feeling for my values. Like, as I said, life, peace, like who can make that decision? That's a horrible decision. But if I feel in my body, I know it feels true to me. And in this case, what felt true to me is, the longer this child lives, the worse it's gonna be for her and the worse it's gonna be for me and the worse it's gonna be for my marriage and my family. And just like my worst case scenario was that she would be born into the hospital. They were gonna give me a C-section because it was suddenly a high-risk pregnancy. Um, and then I, it would be clear that she was like not compatible with life, but I wouldn't be able to stop them from resuscitation efforts. Resuscitation is incredibly painful and invasive. It's not just like, so cute that people are doing CPR on your baby. It's horrible. It breaks their bones. It's just awful. Mm -hmm. And that I would not be able to intervene with that because they had told me when they had told me she was so sick. I said, well, if she can't swallow, I don't want her to have a feeding tube. I want hospice for this baby. And they had said, oh, you can't die the feeding tube. You can't just have hospice for a baby like this. Um, so The decision, it was hard to wrap my head around, but I didn't really need to because I dropped out of my head and into my body and just was going on instincts, pure survival instincts. That's what got me to, I want to have an abortion. That's what got me on the plane. That's what got me to Colorado. That's what got me through the doors of the clinic, right? Once I was there, I was being held so well by my doctor and the nurses there, but When I came out of it, that's when it's hard to wrap your head around it, right? My husband and I were fortunate to be in agreement on this. He was at my side. (laughs) Couldn't be at my side on the airplane because last minute tickets, we were like in very different seats, but he was there with me and this was before COVID. So he could come into the clinic. Very sad to me is that dads can't come into the clinics right now because of COVID. So they just sit in the car all day, not able to hold their wife's hands. It's it's tragic, but he was with me. And we came out and we went home. It was my 30th birthday that weekend. The weekend we went home. After I had birthed the baby, this is a induced stillbirth. So I had actually like birthed vaginally, alert, awake, barely medicated. Mm-hmm. This
0: so baby. they didn't do a C-section. Why didn't they <sighs> choose to do a C-section? Or was that your decision?
1: The C-section was 100% for the baby. For trying to extend the baby's life. So when a baby has brain anomalies like this, her muscle tone is gonna be very poor. And part of coming out of the the womb is the baby shimmies and the baby pushes, right? So the baby is working as the mother is working in labor. Um, That's what was explained to me that because she had these brain anomalies, no, of course, we're gonna do C-section. I had not had previous Cs, so I had had a previous vaginal birth. Everything about my body was fit to deliver this baby. Another piece though, Alexia, is that um, she had enlarged ventricles, which is, it it implies that she was going to get hydrocephalus, which is when the fluid builds up in the brain, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't know if that was going to happen before or after birth, they just knew it was going to happen sometime. And so if, if she had had hydrocephalus, the head can swell to an undeliverable proportion. So right. it can become dangerous for the mother to deliver the baby. But it was only to extend the baby's life that they were doing a C-section in the absence of hydrocephalus. Okay, okay. so um I've been holding space for abortion and specifically this situation where you see more later term abortions Mm -hmm. for 10 years right so like I I know not as many as the physicians themselves know but I probably after the physicians I probably know the most people who have been through this of like basically anyone and I have only seen a c-section done for an abortion once or twice the reason being that c-section guarantees morbidity uh, uh and increases chances of mortality for the mother. Oh, so okay. yeah, so they're always in an abortion because you're not trying you, instead of like trying to balance the mother's health and the baby's health you're really you're really prioritizing the mother's health and her bodily integrity. Right. Um now in my abortion I will just say this it, it's hard it's really freaking hard but I want people to know what happened to me. Um the first day of my procedure was a four day procedure and the first day uh, was education counseling and a euthanizing injection. So they delivered a shot to my baby's heart that eventually, over time, slowed it and stopped it. So she was she had passed by the end of my first day at the clinic. And then the next two days were laminaria, where they insert laminaria into your cervix and it absorbs fluid from the body and slow. Laminaria is literally seaweed. These are sterile seaweed sticks, sticks. And it absorbs and it sort of like gets spongy and expands. So the first day they expanded me to about one centimeter. And the second day they took that out and put in more and they expanded me to, by the time I walked in on day four, I was four centimeters dilated. Now with Elsie's birth, 19 hours of labor to get four centimeters dilated so the reason they do this is to like get you there without having to labor for a full day right and then it's just an induction of labor they gave me the tiniest bit of pitocin but when i'm already four centimeters dilated right they started the contractions and two and a half hours yeah exactly two and a half hours of labor later and i was having this baby and i've had an epidural for my first baby so i I was actually a little afraid. I was a little afraid of this labor. There's no anesthesiologist on staff at this clinic, um, and they gave me Demerol, which is a narcotic. It takes the edge off. It like takes the pain down about the same as a warm shower or warm bath. Um, but other than that, I, it was it was a vaginal birth. It was a very natural childbirth, and so then I had a I had this induced stillbirth. That is the form the abortion takes when you're eight months pregnant.
0: And, oh wow, that's that is a lot to process as I'm just as I'm listening, I'm like imagining like when i when I listen to stories, I like to imagine, you know, what the person was going through, you know, imagining your steps and everything. And I could just feel it's a lot. It's a lot to process. It's a lot to go through knowing that at the end, your, your baby won't be here and, horrible oh, man yeah that's that is such a hard a hard decision and I could tell you are so strong for for keep for keep going and then for getting into the work that you chose to get into to help other women you know going through the same thing but you're you're still having to heal yourself and and still live on and continue on. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just I wanted to ask you when when you when you were through the procedure and you were able to to come home. Well, let me let me ask this first. I wanted to talk about you saying that you, you went from your mind into your body to even make this decision. And I speak about that a lot, that feminine energy, femininity is all about being in your body, being in tune with your body, listening to your intuition in order to make the right decision, um, the decision that is right for you. Because sometimes, you know, our mind can can lead us astray we may have other people's voices in our mind and so listening to your heart can really come in handy um a lot of people like to say that you know listening to your heart is 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 dumb or listening to your emotions mm-hmm. is weak or relying on your emotions is is weak and things like that but it appears that it made you stronger listening to your body listening to what you felt was was right So when you, when you did that and you said that you weren't really in tune with your body before, do you feel like that made a shift for you? Like you were, you were able to, to, that you listening to your body kind of gave you like a, a strength sort of?
1: Oh yeah, I do. I'm thinking, so in the last 10 years, I've learned all these things, including, even though I'm not IFS trained, like about. Parts work, right? I am trained in a different modality, parts work. And that's somatic. That's feeling for the things in your body and having conversations with them. And, um, but what's so interesting to me is that when I was completely uneducated about things like parts, right? Yes. I came up with it all on my own. It's like, it's like it is innate to human consciousness. Mm -hmm. And some people have developed it into like branches of psychology but even if no one ever told me anything I still came to that by myself and I'm thinking of like being home again because that's when all of a sudden oh my god like you're not in life and death anymore the dust all settles and now (laughs) now I had to wrap my head around it and and the consciousness and cognitive stuff came back up but that dropping down in survival mode was something I returned to over and over again in my recovery. Um, Recovery is a funny word. I mean, there's the physical recovery because I had a vaginal delivery of a five pound, 13 ounce baby, right? So like there's a recovery, the breasts, the engorgement, like the milk comes and you have to recover from that. But grief, I'm not sure there's the perfect word integration. Maybe like the grief doesn't, it's not an illness, so you don't recover from it, but it is so intense at the beginning. It makes it hard to get out of bed. It makes it hard to function. It puts a huge burden on the marriage because grief is inherently lonely. You're not grieving together. You're just not as much as you expect to, right? right. Um, so when I am coming out of it, there's just so many moving parts. And fortunately, yes, yes, going through this crisis and dropping into my body once did give me the pathway back into my body so that, as I would I would feel so uncomfortable I just remember feeling like I'd been blown into a million pieces (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they were like these tiny little shards and I was trying to put my old self back together like a puzzle and it just Mm -hmm. wasn't working because there was a dead baby right in the middle that hadn't been there before right and so to soften myself as clay was what I learned how to do like okay, I'm in a million pieces, but if I make myself so soft, and this is very somatic, this is very body, like if I imagine that I'm shards of glass and then I just soften and soften, that's very much the feminine too, soften and soften until it's clay and I can start molding myself back together. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna look the same as before. I have, this is a before and an after. Kate before and Kate after are very, very different. This was an initiation, right? In addition Mm -hmm. to being a loss but that felt sense of like, you know what? It doesn't have to make sense. I would sit there running around in circles up in my head. Like I saved my baby, I killed my baby. I saved my baby, I killed my baby. I saved my baby, I killed my baby. like. You can't make those fit because they are opposite statements. So instead, right. if I just make myself soft enough and big enough that they can both be true inside of me, and I don't try to make them fit together. I don't try to make it a math equation that like works out perfectly in the end. I love math, but this is not math.
0: he <laughs> <laughs> as a scientist, as an engineer, you're all about the calculations, but this, this is outside of logic this is outside of of intellect you know
1: it is and I know that there is a different kind of embodied wisdom here that you know I got great scores on my SATs I am a smart cookie none of that helps when I'm grieving a baby that I basically chose the terms of her death. that I feel that I I love her I killed her. right like that's Ooh, you can't make that work in a linear framework. You just have to get soft and expansive. And I had to really let myself be sad. The sadder I let myself be, the more pieces fit inside of me.
0: Mm-hmm. I like that. And I, I can totally understand and and um, and grasp what you're saying as far as who you were before versus yeah. who you had to be. After this experience, I feel like a lot, maybe not a lot, but some women just are trying to be who they were before or who Mm. they think they should be or responding how they feel they should respond when really, like you said, you should be molding into who you're supposed to be, who you need to be in order to to make it through this process, whether it's grieving, whether it's becoming a mom, because that's a new experience too. You may not be the person you were before, you know, being a mom. And so rediscovering your identity, I think is is what you're saying. Like you had to rediscover who you were, you know, um, what you wanted and how you were going to move forward. And and I think that is, that is very important. Like you said, sometimes the pieces just don't fit Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, we were, nobody is perfect. Nothing is perfect. And some people believe that that chaos is the natural order of the, of the world, of the universe. And so everything won't always make sense. Everything won't always be linear and fit and you won't be, you know. Have this this beautiful um, phoenix type experience. You just gotta you just gotta roll with the punches, go through yeah. it the best that you can, grab onto what you can, and like like you said, just just slowly rebuilding and molding yourself into into a person um, who is strong enough to get through that that type of process. Absolutely, and I want to just go from there into the
1: couples part of it, because yes, I had no idea who I was anymore. (laughs) And yes, (laughs) I was in a place of deep pain and purgatory, trying to figure out how to hold all the pieces that I had. And during that whole time, I'm also married to a man who looks at me and doesn't know who I am anymore, (laughs)
0: right? Right, Right. that was gonna be my next question. Mm -hmm. Like, how was the grieving process you know what you were going versus what he was going like oh yeah and and you said that you 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 weren't able to grieve together and I think a lot of couples realize that they're not able to grieve together and that can tear you apart because Mm. you feel you expect you have these expectations of how your partner should grieve so I would love to hear more about that I think that would definitely help
1: so what's yes i we don't get any cultural modeling for for this i just want to say that like there are no stories there are no tv shows there are no movies that i've ever seen in my life that accurately model losing a child together and that could be at any stage that could be a miscarriage that could be a stillbirth that could be an abortion that could be losing a young child or even losing i i lost a friend unfortunately when she was 18 and her you know no one models for her parents either right Mm. so this is we just assume we're going to go through it together because we we both love our child we have the same relationship to the child well not exactly the same but we're both parental relation with the child and so yeah we'll get to go through it together our marriage is strong that is so not the way it, it goes and unfortunately, in my experience, what I believe to be true is that grief is inherently lonely. Grief is a solo emotional experience. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you know, in the early weeks of my loss, my mom's friend and her daughter came to see me. And my mom's friend had lost a baby who should be my age. So my mom and she had been pregnant at the same time and her baby died and my mom's baby lived, and that's me, right? and Peggy sat me down, and she was like, Kate, I just need you to know that you and your husband are going to be going through the things that you go through at different times, so, like, you might be flying high, you might be feeling like you're doing better, and that's when he's going to drop, and he might be, like, very functional, and you're going to be a wreck, and that's, it is the way it is, and that, What I noticed about my marriage is that my grieving was extremely low functioning grieving. (laughs) So I did get out of bed every morning, probably only because I had a two year old, right? So I would get out of bed and every day, what got me through the day is that I would cook dinner. And so I would bring her to the grocery store. I would sit her down for lunch, like macaroni and cheese every day at the grocery store. And then I would like buy the ingredients to cook a dinner. We would stop at the playground so that she could play and I could just be catatonic on the bench. And then we would come home and I would like one foot in front of the other until there was a meal. And then I would put her to bed and I would go to bed, right? Like just, I am surviving for her survival. All right. In the meantime, sometimes I would fall to the floor crying. like collapsed to the floor crying right this is a low functioning high drama grief my husband's grief was extremely high functioning he stayed home for a week maybe two weeks and then he went back to work he got up in the morning he took a shower he put on his clothes he went back to work he came home if he cried I don't remember it being often and it certainly wasn't like howling the way I would cry you know and I remember him looking at me one day and saying this thing, and like, this is a horrible thing to say, but please don't judge him by it. He's a wonderful husband. But I remember him looking at me and saying, like, I just don't know where my wife has gone and is this it forever, (laughs) you know, (laughs) which hurt. That hurt a lot to receive. What I learned to do, what I realized was if I could respect my own grief profoundly, radically, no judgment, yes, Kate, now you are on the floor yowling. That is because you grieve your baby. If I could be like, yes, this is right for me. This is the process I need to be going through. I believe that I am doing this right. Then I could look at him and be like, and I believe you're doing it right for you, right? right? One time he would never in a million years come to baby loss support group with me, <laughs> but some other women successfully dragged their husbands There were a few husbands who came voluntarily, but most of the husbands at that group were dragged there by their wives. (laughs) And I remember this one guy, he was just like, he was all hunched over and it was like, he was under attack the whole time because he'd been dragged there. And she was just talking about how hard it was that he was not crying when she was crying. And finally he was like, look, my wife can grieve in a comfortable home or we can grieve in a tent because I lost my job. And what I want is for my family to be grieving, to to basically provide for my wife a comfortable place to go through this this horrible time so that her basic needs are taken care of. And that's why I get up and go to work. Hearing him say it made me understand that that's where my husband was at too. My husband never said that to me, but I learned to put deep trust in it, to look at him and be like, holy shit, because he is going to work, I don't have to get a full-time job. I, I was a tutor, um, I had just graduated, I was gonna be an engineer, it was not the path I took. I I tutored, I tutored math and science 10 hours a week. That's all I needed to make ends meet and that gave me the extra 30 hours a week to just be sad. And he was going to work and being functional so that I could do that. So he, when he told me, I don't even know who you are anymore, this is horrible, like I'm horrified and terrified that you're gonna be like this forever. Yeah. He was just telling me he was afraid. How often, you know, how often does my husband tell me in words a vulnerable feeling like fear? Yeah. And if I can receive that, my husband's afraid. You know, what? at the end of the day, I'm afraid too, because someday I want to be happy again too. And I'm not happy. And this is terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's okay for him to be afraid. It's okay for me to be afraid. It doesn't have to be about me doing it wrong.
0: Right, right that just gave me chills. I love that. <laughs> I, uh, So many, so many great points. So many gems right there. I don't, where do I start? I'm gonna start with, with what you, you last said that to me sounded like a fear of losing his partner. Like you yeah. just getting so lost in the grief that, you know, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't know how to bring you back. Right. And I can definitely understand that. And I feel like that is how a lot of men um view things. They are logical. They are doers. Um, and they feel like their position is to be the provider. And for you to say, you know, that you your perspective shifted and you saw your husband as not just providing financially, but providing emotionally, even, Even if it wasn't in the way that you were thinking, providing emotionally in his own way, a space for you to grieve so that you didn't have to worry about so many other things that you could just focus on getting better, you know, getting, going through your grieving process, getting better and coming out on the other side. And he could meet you there, you know, and this is just my perspective. But I feel like when God gives us our our life partner, our true life partner, he gives us someone who can balance us out. So if you're a highly emotional, in tune type of person, you need somebody that's more logical and stable to like anchor you. And I definitely could understand when you were like, you know, when you were high, he was low. When maybe he was low, you were high. Because that kind of reminds me of, when me and my husband um, are sick, we're sick at opposite time at opposite times because we don't get sick often. But when we do, it's bad, you know. So we would be like out of commission. So, but we're we're sick at opposite times, and at first we were like, "This is so weird." Like when I'm sick, you're not. But when yes. you're sick, I'm not. But then we realized. We need this in order to keep <laughs> functioning and taking care of these children. Somebody has to do it, you know. And I feel like it's so it's meant to be that way. Yes. So that yes. so that you can have somebody be be your backbone, be right. be your rock when when you're at your lowest point. And I think that is what makes a marriage, makes a relationship so much stronger when you have somebody to anchor you at your lowest
1: point. Oh, Wait, yeah, and if I look at my husband and I see his high functioning and I say, this is because he doesn't love our daughter, I'm not giving him credit. I'm not giving right. him credit, right? And I'm not right. honoring the man that I married, who's an incredible match for me. In the same way that if we, we have the same exact thing happen, when we both get a bug, one of us gets it hard and the other one doesn't. And it's like, yeah. right? And there might be something about immune factors and attraction there, but like, even so, he... If I look at him and he like falls hard from a bug that doesn't affect me very much. If I'm like, oh, you with the man cold, blah, blah, blah. That's not, yeah. again, it's like not honoring our compatibility. Right. And it and it is somewhat self-judgmental on me too, to look at him and be like, I can't believe you're doing it wrong. It's like,
0: yeah. I don't know. It's projection. You need compassion. So I, right? It's, yeah, it's just exactly. having compassion for the exactly. other person. You know, women, we want all the compassion. We want all the love. But you also have to give it to you to your it. partner, to yeah. your man. Like they feel things too, and even though they may not show it, um, or all the time, I it just sounds like your husband was definitely grieving. Like yeah. he definitely was feeling, you know, um, the loss. It was just, what do they say? Like men just compartmentalize. There was and a so, lot of for sure. yeah and and you can't assume that you're both going to love the same way that you're going to grieve the same way that you're going to parent the same way that you're going to have a relationship with your child the same way right. and I think that was something you said too like you know you started questioning did he love did he love her like did he have a, a tie to her or anything you know and it's it's you can't discredit that it was there it just may be be different um, and that doesn't make it any less I guess is what I'm trying to say just have compassion and and understand that it, it doesn't make it any less that you know somebody processes emotions differently right. than you do
1: and part of coming into my own feminine here is like softening myself so I'm not on the attack like okay, I will receive the gifts you're giving me. You yes. are giving me stability, I will receive it. Right? Right. I will, it's a beautiful gift, I take it. Now, there's this piece though, <laughs> I, I, if people are going through this in their own marriage, if you've had a miscarriage, you've had a stillbirth, you've had a loss of any kind, and you feel like you're at odds with your husband, or or your spouse, and you feel like you just wanna be on the same page, but you're not. What I would say is pay attention to what makes you feel close and pay attention to what makes you feel at odds. When I started paying attention, it's like stupid simple. Does it make me feel better or worse,
0: (laughs) right? Right, right. And
1: what I learned was I so wanted to talk about Laurel. Our, Our lost baby's name is Laurel. I so needed to talk about her, but every single time I tried to talk about hard things with my husband, I would feel worse because he wouldn't respond in the way that I wanted him to. And I would feel worse. But every single time I like touched my husband or received his touch, I would feel better. So for me, more snuggles, less talking was the path to feeling connection. For you, it might be something different, but that was what it was for me. And when I started noticing the patterns and honoring those patterns and just being like, you know what, marriage is long
0: marriage Mm -hmm. is long
1: it can be if you want it to be it can be long and if you're lucky and no one dies in the meantime right right so i'm just gonna give myself a long time a very far decades out time horizon to figure out the communication thing and in the meantime i'm just gonna hug him and feel like we're on the same team now I still had the need to talk about my baby. And so this is huge. And none of the marriage books say this. All the marriage books are like, if you don't put each other first, you're going to like lose connection and attachment. That's bullshit in a situation like this. Right. Excuse my my language. No, I get it. (laughs) In a situation like this, my needs far exceeded, emotional needs far exceeded any single human's ability to meet them. Right? Yeah. I needed to talk about my dead baby so much that if I put that all on my husband or any one person, it's a burden, right? So what I needed to do was to call every friend I ever had and be like, can I talk about my dead baby for a while? Right. Right. And they're like, yes, because they love me and they don't know how to help. So if I can get now, you mentioned vulnerability at the beginning. Yes. Oh you drop all the way into the vulnerability. I have this need. Would you please help me? Mm -hmm. Right. Rather than I can't believe no one's showing up for me. Why didn't you show up? Like friend, would you please call me on Tuesday? Because I just need to see someone checking in. I just need to know that call's coming. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if I'm going to pick up, but would you just make the call every Tuesday at seven? It's going to be like, of course, of course, I will call you every Tuesday at seven. Right. And then all of a sudden my needs start getting met, not yeah. just by my husband. But what I always say is like, if I have a pile of needs and they get met by my second choice, my third choice, my 200th choice person, right. they're still being met. And that opens me up to loving my husband again.
0: Right. It doesn't take so, anything away from your marriage.
1: Right. If he's my first choice and he can't do it, then he's my first choice and he can't do it. Go to yeah. second choice. Go to third choice,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I definitely understand that. It that was kind of the the dilemma that I was in about going to therapy. Yeah. Um, because my <laughs> our husband sound kind of similar. He couldn't really hold a um a lot of emotional space for me, but I still felt like I needed to talk about what was going on versus you know just holding it all in and trying to process my mind and all that stuff I feel like I just needed to talk to someone and eventually I just got to the point where it was like look this is what's important to me this is what I need and that's more important right now you know it's not that I don't want to talk to you. It's just that I feel like you can't really hold that space for me. And that's okay because, you know, yeah. we're fine everywhere else. Um, and like you said, I feel like me being able to to talk those things out and get a different perspective, open me up to my husband more and being able to be more vulnerable and and learn to listen more and share more because I, I wasn't I wasn't sharing as much anymore because I felt like, oh, well, I don't want to be a burden and things like yeah. that. But now I'm like, I can share more. I could talk more about things that's going on, that's going wrong. um And whatever he can't hold space for, like you said, go to my second choice, go to my third choice. And that doesn't take anything away from the connection that I'm trying to build with my husband. I think that okay. is a beautiful point to to put out there and i'm so glad that you brought that up um i think a lot of a lot of couples definitely need to to hear that they are not alone that there are hundreds if not thousands of layers you yeah. know within a marriage to to be able to communicate to be able to be vulnerable open to grieve perspective compassion just love just love in general is, is complicated. it's complicated totally but it's it's beautiful it's beautifully complicated yeah and you know giving myself
1: a long time horizon helps so much at eight years out eight years that's a long freaking time right yeah I I went to coaching school and the thing I worked on in myself love sex and relationship school I was like I want to be able to talk to my husband about hard things I have right. put it off this long and I'm ready because I think that's what my relationship needs for the next level. Eight right. years later, I was able and ready to hold that intention without like spilling out my anger on my husband. <laughs> right. right.
0: right, Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and on her birthday, eight years after that was the first time my husband spoke our daughter's name again. Mm. Just, and I really think it's related to me coming to the point where I was personally ready to show up in communication and to raise the bar of communication in my marriage. And on her birthday, you know, my husband said, do you know what day it is today to the girls? And he said, it's Laurel's birthday. And that was the first time he had spoken her name in eight years. Mm-hmm. And I just, it felt so free. It was what I had needed so long yeah. and it was yeah. so worth the wait for me, for me, for yeah. me. I'm glad it happened in its own time. I'm glad I didn't have to pull it out of him, like pulling teeth
0: right, right. It just organically happening. it makes it that more more beautiful. Yeah, I can definitely feel that. um, so um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up because okay. you know, I know you're a busy person, your mom, your coach, and everything like that. Um, I only have an hour of her time, you ladies, you guys. I only have an hour of her time. But, as she has stated, she is a coach. Um, she helps with baby loss, um mm-hmm. sex, love, relationships. So, if you could tell us more about your business and how you help couples in in this in this process. Absolutely. So um, my
1: business is Nightbloom Coaching. And if you want to find it online, it's nightbloom, N-I-G-H-T-B-L-O-O-M, coaching, dot com. That's my website. Um, I, I do one-on-one work and I do couples work. Occasionally, I'll run a group or two, but I'm still sort of working that out, how that works. Um, so, but for sure, I do one-on-one work. And what I, I do a lot of grief work. Particularly, I work with women around this feeling of being too afraid to feel the sadness all the way, Um, like terrified, if you go in, will you ever get out? If you go all the way into the shadow, will you ever be able to come out the other side? Um, And the answer is yes. Yes, you will. (laughs) But... I can you know, say Linda that. Testimony. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I can say that it's very different to feel it. And so what the somatic coaching ends up being is a lot of feelings exercises. It is very different from talk therapy. We will talk a little at the beginning of each session just to sort of feel where you are and then we will go in. And when I say go in, it might be like dropping into a meditation, a guided visualization. It might be like doing an embodiment exercise which is almost like an acting class where I, I love to help women channel their anger in particular but we'll go through all the emotions where you're acting them out. It can feel a little bit clunky and uncomfortable for a lot of my clients who were not yeah. actors um, but it is powerful and it moves stuff quickly. We also do parts work so like if you have a jealous piece that every time sees ba- sees like a friend who had a baby and just mm-hmm. like Wishes her baby would die too. I know how yeah. terrible that sounds, but that is not at all unusual for someone who has gone right. through baby yeah. loss, right? Yeah. There's just a, this lonely part that feels isolated and left behind and misunderstood. We go in and we meet that part and we love that part and we give that part what it needs to allow you to feel what it's protecting. What it's protecting is often something very vulnerable. And once you go all the way into the heart of the vulnerability and the sadness, what I have observed is that there is a deep, expansive piece there. And so I help women get in touch with that piece. Then that is the work if you're doing grief work, but sometimes I have women return to me later. And what's so amazing about returning later is that the work they want in the second round is very different. The work they want in the second round is like massive thriving work. like. Uh, Sometimes it's professional, sometimes it's relationship, but they just want to thrive. So when you integrate the grief, it opens up the thriving opportunity. And I do that work as well. Can look like women's empowerment, can look like just, um, yeah, a lot of of self-power and self-love and expansiveness. Some people want to become activists or give their lives purpose or change their careers. I help with that as well. And then there are couples. One of the most common problems after baby loss is a complete drop off in intimacy. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, the body becomes the enemy. Like I can't believe my body built this broken baby. My body let me down. And there's this level of self-punishment there. It's also like my reproductive organs are the scene of a crime. Like that's where it all happened. It happened in me, it happened in my womb, it happened Because of sex, right? Right. That's how we conceived our baby. That was not okay, right? And so there's this PTSD response. I'm not a therapist. So if you have PTSD, I will always refer out to a therapist to support that as well. But this is very complementary to trauma holding. So Mm -hmm. if there is this sense of my sexuality is the seat of this grief, the seat of this trauma, there's a lot that needs to be opened up there. In the meantime, when there has been this sexless marriage for so long, often the other partner, the non-caring partner, the man or, or the, the wife of this woman has feelings hurt. Like, does she even love me anymore, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so to overcome that and be able to reunite physically and really reinvent the sex life. Like when I, when I help people hold sex after a long hiatus, it doesn't have to be because of grief. I'm in the grief world so most of the people I see stopped having sex because they're grieving but any time you've gone a year two years without sex yeah or only abc sex right mm-hmm. anniversaries birthdays christmas right. <laughs> then you don't just want to get back what you had when you were like a randy college kid you actually want to build fresh a new sexuality for the body that you're in right now, for the hormones that you have right now, for the touch that feels good right now. In any mother who has given birth, her whole perception of sensory awareness is going to be different than it was before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That takes some learning and it can help to have support on that. And so I support couples reinventing their sex life after a long
0: hiatus. Right love that it got me yeah that's definitely true like <laughs> the way I was sexually before children is definitely different from um after after children my, my sex drive had, like dipped off there for a while yeah. and then I was able to get back into my groove you know you know what yes. I mean so like you were saying I was able to like go through that 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 journey I guess to to understand what made me feel good what made me feel sexy and what my husband could also do to help me um to help me have a more pleasurable experience Um,
1: Totally.
0: so I, I love that so ladies and gentlemen um because I do have both men and women who listen to the podcast definitely um any questions that you have drop them If you are listening on YouTube, drop a comment, drop a question. Um, I'm going to leave her information in the show notes in the description. So if you feel like you need her services, definitely reach out. This I feel like this is a vibe. And if you are feeling attracted to her energy, to her vibe, and feel like she could generally help you and hold space for you don't hesitate to reach out because as she's letting you know there there are a lot of other women who feel and are going through similar experiences and you don't have to go through it alone and so you know if you have any questions make sure that you drop them and I will have her information for you to reach out if you want to privately as well And so, is there anything that you wanted to to leave off, Um, an ending message, um, or anything like that? For anyone who's listening,
1: who has endured the loss of a pregnancy or the loss of a baby, and you know, and is still really feeling the grief acutely from that, I think the thing I just want to close with is that I believe the grieving is the healing. So, as broken as it can feel that really is the native human process of integrating and healing from something that just hurts so, so much. So my biggest blessing on all of your listeners is that they're exactly where they need to be, even when it hurts, even when it hurts. And that doesn't mean you have to stay here forever. So much love, so much love to all of your listeners who are grieving right now. Thank
0: you so much for coming on the podcast. This was beautiful. Like this really, this really touched my spirit. I, I'm a vibe type of person. And, and this was just a vibe. Like this was just peaceful. Um, I felt like there was a lot of good energy, a lot of positive information, advice, and I can tell that you're, you're really good at what you do. And I just want to, um, encourage you keep going, keep doing the work that you're doing. A lot of women definitely need it, as you know. and just um, just keep being the beautiful person that you are. Thank you so <laughs> much, Alexia. It was such a pleasure to come on and talk
1: to you. And I love the mission of your show. It's so important. It's so important. Thank
0: you. Thank you. And to all my listeners out there, make sure that you check the show notes um in the description to to see. Um, additional information and resources for you to reach out to make sure that you follow us on social media Um, visit the website for additional resources and subscribe to the podcast and to this youtube channel if you're coming from youtube make sure that you subscribe to uh, view more episodes videos i have more guests coming on to talk about a variety of topics And again, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.